Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. Okay, everybody, welcome to another CI for Life podcast. I'm Rick Hyland. Excited to come to you today. We got a very exciting entrepreneurial story. Metaverse, virtual reality, medical training. Oh, it's just going to be exciting. So let's welcome in our special guest, CEO of SimTech MD, McKay Byam. Welcome to the podcast, McKay. Hey, thanks, Rick. Uh, excited to share more about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for you to tell your story. It's uh, not too often we get to kind of hear an entrepreneurial story in the metaverse and at the beginning. And so uh, for the listeners, uh, we're going to uh, talk to McKay about kind of his uh, vision for why he started this company and the roadmap that, that's got him here so far and kind of the roadmap for the next 12 months and then any lessons learned, things that he'll do differently. So um, stay with us. You can hear a great story of uh, high tech and entrepreneurialism and private equity and all sorts of fun things. So McKay, to start us off, why don't you just start with your personal background and uh, a little bit about the company. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. So for me, I did a lot of traditional training. So I did my undergraduate degree in Canada, Saskatchewan, in physiology and pharmacology. And after that, did my medical training uh, out at the University of Sydney, their medical program out there. And during my medical program is when I, you know, started to get into this journey. And so I, I completed my MD and then now I've been operating SimTech MD uh, and I don't practice anything clinically right now. Um, and so going back to a little bit about like what started this process. Yeah. Oh, oh, just other things about me too that I never like to, I always like to make sure I include. I'm a husband and father of three. So, you know, those are my um, core parts of my life. And, and so that brings me a lot of stability amongst uh all the new kind of entrepreneurial stuff that's going on in my life. That's uh, my foundation. So, Absolutely. Uh, and you live in LA, Lethbridge, Alberta, Lethbridge, Alberta, the new tech hub of Canada. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the nice thing about, uh, you know, metaverse technologies like this is that it, it might allow us to kind of decentralize where people, Geography. where the traditional companies start up. And so it's, it's exciting. Uh, so for me, uh, during my medical training, I was taking part in training during an interesting time where kind of everything leading up to and before my training, you got educated by a medical school. But the web had taken off enough that some products started to come out during my medical schooling years that you could buy online and, you know, start to kind of compete with the medical school in a sense where you could say, okay, I could go to lectures or I could go online and, and uh, watch these lectures that I've paid for. And, and, you know, are those more effective? Are they not? It was what students started to play around with. And I did that too. And by about midway through my first year, uh, I think our school could only get about a third of the students out to lectures because enough of them were spending time on these programs online learning and, and yeah. effectively yeah, yeah, they, they did some amazing things that they were, you paid for them, of course, but essentially they could take a 60 minute lecture, crunch it down into 10 minutes. They had flashcards, question banks associated with it, a whole bunch of learning automations that were 
tough to compete with. And so uh, I was one of those students that it was difficult to get me out to lectures themselves. Um, there's other you know, clinical activities you have to go to. But I noticed some challenges with these. So one, you were kind of, this is pre-COVID, you were already going into kind of a self-isolation where you're studying this content online. It's really effective, but you're not really connecting with the older generation uh, that has all that wisdom. Uh, additionally, you're not connecting with your peers as much, and you're still not doing medicine. So much of the learning happens in the doing. And, and so if you try and divorce medicine from that it, and just make it this theoretical abstract, do well in your exams, you're missing a huge part of it. So that was the stage that I've, of uh, training that I was kind of going through. And what led to me saying, you know, is there a way where we can, you know, have the, the connectivity that we have right now at the traditional institutions, but the, the digitization, the effectiveness that comes along with it, which is when I started exploring virtual reality. And so I remember when I took my first, uh, instead of a clinical rotation, I said, no, I want to do a project-based rotation, and I want to um, see what, where VR is at and see if I can build some proof of concepts for doing clinical skills in virtual reality. And so <clears throat> this, is the, this is the exciting part that kind of started this journey. And I basically, in a six-week, six- to eight-week period, taught myself enough programming and coding and game development to build some really rough stuff <laughs> in uh, virtual reality where I could you know, prove it to myself more at that point where... Okay. Yeah, you can do clinical skills in virtual reality. Something's there, um, which kind of led to the the forming of the company while I was still in medical school. But that's a that's a more or less the origin story. Some some questions on that. More should I should I keep going? No, that's great. So you you actually taught yourself some programming skills before you ever hired anybody out, so that you could kind of proof of concept to yourself to see if it's beneficial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and that's. You know, a big part of the entrepreneurial journey is what to delegate, what to do yourself, right. <laughs> how to save money when you're when you're doing something on a budget. And it's not an easy thing to figure out. But uh, I, I had the, the means and the availability to, to do that. So, OK, so continue on the story. Like, uh, when did you actually start the company? Was it a year later after your medical training was finished or tell us about the startup? Oh, so it's during my last year of training. So okay. it uh, founded the company, but it was kind of just in, in hibernation under the surface. Um, I was spending doing a, other things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, medical school, you're probably putting in easily 50 plus hours a week, every, every week, right? Um, closer to 60 probably. So yeah, I was doing it on top of that, which was a really busy time uh, and essentially started the company and started accumulating some of the resources that I needed. I got, um, a close investor with me that was uh, more or less a personal friend. And, and we were together starting to fund a little bit of the development that we were exploring, really cheap developers. And so um, great, great people that were really helpful at the time. Um, and, you know, there are some interesting websites as far as resources that you can get into like Fiverr and Upwork, where you can find, you know, cheap labor that can help you explore and move a product along because it's all about growing the product while you're having those conversations with people who are looking to invest and so that you can, you know, demonstrate that this working, this is working, this is real. And so that happened for about the last six months of my training. And then it's uh, 2021 end of 2021 was when I made the choice to go full-time. And when we had enough 
investment up to that point to fund some full-time developers and, you know, really make it go and accelerate it. Awesome. So end of 2021, you're essentially kind of full-time in it and kind of give us, so that's been a year and a half. Give us kind of a roadmap of some of the entrepreneurial journey and some of the steps that you've taken, including financing and and development and all that exciting stuff. Can you give us kind of a picture of that roadmap? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a very general question. There's a lot to it, and so this is again more of a roadmap for uh, a startup company. Yeah. Which in a startup, I want to differentiate that a little bit from kind of the owner operator small business. Okay, where. I don't have as much experience as an owner operator and the same principles might not apply, but for a startup where you're looking to scale operations and have a a big team working around you and and grow something, particularly in the tech space, that's more my experience. Yeah. Sure. And so there's lots of people interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, one of the biggest parts is, is funding. So how are you going to fund this thing? And Essentially, well, uh, I'll start with kind of this, this one-liner that I've developed for myself over the, the last year, and this incorporates all the things that, that go into it. Was my, my job as the, the founder of the company is to make sure that we're going in the right direction and that we have the resources to get there. And so those are the, that's how I summarize it to myself to kind of give myself a single mission uh, for helping the company move forward. And that um, looks different at... Yeah. You just blew away all the CEO books that I have right here, the big thick ones right standing right here and simplified it. Oh. I love it. That is a nice yeah. general mission. Yeah. And and again, it changes. So it's it's an art, that that part of it. And during the initial stages, you, you come up with an idea. You you something strikes you, and the, the entrepreneurial mindset is the those people they notice that problem. And they can't just move on from it. For me, it was this thing that was happening in medical education. And I would sometimes bring it up to my peers, talk about it. And they would say, oh, I'm just thinking about passing the next exam. And that's a great mindset. And so <laughs> you, can't, you can't say that that's not a good one. And, but uh, the person who might be an entrepreneur is the one who can't stop thinking about that problem. And, and it, so it started to consume me a bit. And, and so speaking of that, you have to, for making sure you're going in the right direction, you have to make sure that you're you're reading, writing, and communicating with people in this space. Okay. And it, it sounds a little bit abstract because you're not exactly building anything. You're not getting financing. But to me, that that's always laid a great foundation for making sure that I'm a valuable resource to the company, that all those other things can happen. Uh, and so what I mean by that is that I, I started you know, looking into all everything I could find on medical education and the training process. You have to start writing. Um, you have to have to write. It's the clearest way of thinking. Um, you know, they say that the, the success rates of having a business plan um, with your business or not, uh, it's been highly touted as an essential component. I don't think it's the business plan itself that is, is what it's makes process. a company go. It's, it's the fact that you've thought about things clearly enough to put them down on paper. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Or no one writes on paper anymore. But yeah, you've thought about things clearly enough because... Writing is the most clear form of thinking that we know about. And then you have to start, as part of the writing process, you have to start communicating that with other people. And, and if, you can, if you can focus on that and make regular habits of doing those things where you're reading, writing, and communicating with people about this so that you're not doing it in an echo chamber, then you can really start to build a plan that's, that's bulletproof because people start to poke holes in that. And, and 
And the rest of the things, as far as getting the resources to accomplish that, if you can write and communicate effectively, then you can get those resources. Mm. You can you can marshal them. You can help people see and catch the mission and vision of your company and, and move it forward. And so the, the details on, on how you, you know, accumulate and find the resources, that's the part that shifts the most <laughs> in every, every stage of what you're doing. Okay. But if you can do that first part and, and do it well enough uh, to make sure that you're you know, understanding the problem well enough, you can communicate it, then, then the rest of that, in my opinion, will follow. And we can get into more details on that part. But So thoughts? let's just unpack that one a little bit because I really like the way you said it differently. And I want to use uh, words, and you you did use it, but this is business planning and market research, right? You can't do this in a vacuum, but I like the way you articulated it. To find the right direction, it's about reading, writing, thinking, checking in with others. Is this really a problem? You know, what what are some of the potential solutions? So you're doing constant iterations of planning and research and finding out, you know, if you've identified the problem correctly if some of the solutions you're thinking about would be helpful. So that's an invaluable, you know, like you yeah. said, document is one thing. It's the process of learning that gets you there yeah. and the practice and the iterations that you're doing that is so critical that sometimes if you're just a maker happen type entrepreneur without that type of grounding and thinking and checking and research, uh, you can miss the mark. And to your point, uh, McKay, and I think I've shared this with you, but I read a, by the Labor Bureau the other day, 70% of small businesses fail within the first five years. And the three reasons are, and we've already touched on you know, two of them, is one, uh, they don't understand their funding or the, or the lack of funding, the run out of funding. Number two, they don't have a, a detailed, well thought through business plan. And number three, they don't have a clear and articulate, comprehensive marketing strategy. So we've already talked about two of those in kind yeah. of a different, different way. I love it. So yeah. Okay, so um, right direction, reading, writing, thinking, checking in, doing research. Anything else on that one before I uh, unpack funding with you and how you did that? Yeah, I wanted to just comment on something you said there briefly okay. about the business plan, because there's a temptation now towards, towards something called a lean canvas. It's a very simplified business plan. It's a one pager. And yeah, I think that's really good for conveying a really clear and concise message, but there's gotta be the information behind it. So I get back to that because the reason people want the, the, the lean canvas is because they realize that in startup world, things change so rapidly. It's not like big company pivots, but what one thing means one day towards the next, it shifts a lot. And so that's why the big business plan that you write down once it's your Magnus Opum and you live by it, isn't a great concept to go by. No. But if you just have the lean canvas and you don't have all of that thought that can go into a business plan, uh, then, then you can't think strategically enough and maneuver and understand the, the problems to move forward, I think, in a safe manner and managing risks. But so, yeah, that, that's going to help you with all the resources. And the biggest, the biggest resource that you just touched on was funding. So what do you think are some good questions that kind of lead into funding? I can talk about that. Yeah. So how did you do it? Everybody I know thousands of people that are trying to access some of that, you know, uh, yeah. debt, loans, private equity, uh, lenders, you know, whatever it might be. How, how did that process? Was that smooth? Was it because you were in tech, everybody wanted to be part of it? Or, or tell us about the journey on the... Yeah, the not, not smooth. 
<laughs> never, never smooth. Although we've been really blessed with, with funders that have, you know, believed in what we're doing. It hasn't been smooth. You know, we've had those, those critical moments when you need to get some money into the company. And there's definitely things I would do differently in this space. Now, one of the biggest things that is a buffer against all of your funding highs and lows is, are people on your team that believe in what you're doing. And this gets to what I was talking about earlier with, you know, if you can write and think and communicate clearly, then you can get people that believe in what you're doing. And, and, and if you're doing a good thing for a company, that's a good thing to, to get people that buy in. And we've been blessed to have people that were willing to work for free, work for low. You contact them and you say, we can't pay you enough this month. And they say, that's okay. I see the, I see what we're doing here. And then they buy into the bigger part of what you're doing. So I just need to emphasize that again, that, that that will pay dividends if you take that time and think through things clearly and communicate it well, that people will get on board with what you're doing. And at Simtech, we're really blessed with, with investors and people that have joined the team early that just believe and are willing to make big time sacrifices. There was one time I remember where our, our CTO effectively had their Wi-Fi shut off because they weren't making enough money. <laughs> Because they were sacrificing so much at that time. So that's hilarious. Your CTO doesn't have Wi-Fi at, at that time. And but but those are the type of people that you need to weather those types of storms. We we depended now, practically speaking, for how we financed it. It was personal funds from people that were in early on the company until we got some investors. That took about three months to get okay. some of our first investors. And those are in the friends and family area. Okay. And it's usually for smaller check sizes in those five to 15,000 range for people that come on board. And those people are wonderful. Like there's, there's, I think sometimes a little bit of a, um, a feeling out there that um, a CEO who's just looking at the interests of his shareholders is doing a, a crime for the world or something like that. But those those early investors, I don't know if you've heard that sentiment. I've, I've heard well, that I, out there. I have, but I don't agree with it. But anyhow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, probably because you, you've done some investing on your side too. But the risk those friends and family make early on um, to fund and believe in your vision is just astounding. And, and so to me, inspiring. yeah, yeah, it is really inspiring. And as much as you look and think towards your customers, it is appropriate to look towards your investors to try and help them because what they do is incredible at each stage as you go through it. So there's that friends and family stage. What we should have done at that stage is explored a category of funding called non-dilutive funding. And that, when it's saying non-dilutive, it means it's not taking away equity from the company. Right. Your equity is, speaking of you know, using resources wisely, your equity is one of those resources that you have that you can use wisely. You give that away to people for doing free work, for giving you money. But then there's the non-dilutive funding. And that is, includes those things like debt and grants. Depending on what you're doing, there are a lot of grants available both in you know, Canada and the USA that can really help set up uh, your company. So for lots of the research and development you're doing, it can be either 100% or 70% or 50% funded by grants. Mm. Uh, and so that's a, that extends your runway of Big time. If someone gives you fifteen thousand, that might turn into thirty thousand with, with the addition there. And so it's a good way to respect your your early investors' money and to give yourself a better runway. Is that grant money available in 
all industries or because you're medical tech, is it, was there more available? What, what's your sense of that? Uh, so I've been learning more and more about this over the last six months. And it seems like if you dig, it's there. Okay. Now, because we're med tech, that does help a bit. Uh, but most of the programs, and so I'm not sure where most of your uh, viewers are, but there are, you know, Alberta-based programs. That's the province or state that we live in. There are nationwide programs that I'm aware of, both in Canada and USA, that really cover anything that's research and development within a company. And so, if that, you dig that it, that one's there, a lessons learned, right? That you're sharing yeah. what you what you wish you would have known. What valuable lessons learned for the team. So you went from friends and family. Next phase, if entrepreneurs are listening, uh, the grant uh, opportunity or non-diluted funding. And you're not talking about debt here, right? You're, t- you're talking about, you know. No, not debt yet. Yeah, and, debt. and you could really start that even before the friends and family. Because you can go to those groups with, um, depending on where your technology is at, there's, a, there's kind of like a market readiness scale or technology readiness level. And depending on where you're at in that, it's like from one to, to eight, you can find funding at all of those stages. So even if you just have an idea that you've you know, found a bit of a proof of concept or some customers that you've talked to, you can get access to that even at that friends and family round uh, right. stage. And so I'd encourage people to start on that process as early as possible, because once you start, you get to know the people that do the grants and that, that, have, that are part of that process, and they help your company move forward so that we already have them talking with us about what our grant plan is for the next year to get us funded for next year's cycle and the year after. And so once you get in with these groups, they're, they're really helpful. Uh, and so you can't start early enough with that. So there's the friends and family, but the, the non-dilutive funding. Uh, but then you start talking to more sophisticated investors at that point, if you're you know, continuing on the, the funding pathway. And, and this is where, again, that reading, writing, thinking pays off. But you need to have some essential materials for pitching to more sophisticated investors. You can't just have a phone call conversation. You've got to have some of those things like a business plan, but especially a pitch deck. And maybe that's come up in lots of your conversations. Do you think your audience will be really familiar with that? Or should I talk about that? No, talk about that, please. Okay, a pitch deck is a really essential document where it's basically a PDF PowerPoint presentation, something like that, that goes through problem that you're trying to solve, solution, your total addressable market, um, your competitive landscape, who else is in that area, your go-to-market strategy, and your team. Uh, we haven't touched much on team, um, but that document goes through those, those core aspects, details them, and this is a living, breathing document that you're going to be adjusting a lot. You need to try it uh, as much as you can in front of people so that you make sure that the ideas that you're getting across are really clearly communicated and that the, the value proposition, the return on investment that you're communicating to your investors is clear. Yeah. And part of that planning included some good thinking about risk management. Was that their encouragement, your encouragement? Uh, you've done some really good thinking around that, both what are the biggest risks and the mitigation thereof? Was that part of this private equity uh, funding raising or something else? Uh, yeah, that came more through conversations and uh, with with investors and also with the grant uh, writing. Okay, I, I find that the investors themselves that more often than not the the questions don't get to that point as much, or a pitch deck doesn't usually include the risk mitigation. Um, that's a little bit more sophisticated, but 
the grant writing really, this is why I believe it's really important for you to be writing. And, and that's something you shouldn't outsource too early on is the writing process because it, you get to learn so much. But essentially, with lots of the grant writing, you learn a lot about risk mitigation. And because that's a big emphasis for for most grant processes. And and then, you know, with with if you can find some um, some really great investors that give you positive feedback, I mean, I mean, negative feedback is what I was saying, then then you can learn a lot about where people think your risks are. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with uh, thinking back to, to timing for us, I remember, we were making this choice to go with this company. And I think a week before we made the choice, my, my wife and I, yeah, we're going to, we're going to go with this full time. We're not going to do clinical right now. We're going to do this. I think about a month after that, uh, Facebook announced that they were switching their company name to Meta and essentially going into VR metaverse. So that was a, you know, a big, uh, sometimes you can't like that just de-risks what we're doing to a huge extent that um, a company as a um, household company like Facebook uh, believes in the mission enough to switch their name to to Meta to, to make that happen. So there are things you can't control that de-risk it essentially, yeah. but there's a lot you can do personally to to think about risk mitigation. I don't know if that answered the part you're yeah, thinking. Yeah, it does. About. It does. But I want. I also want oh, to talk about. Yeah. Sorry, you have another point on financing before we move on. Just to... just really quick about risk mitigation. Okay. Uh, uh, on that, it's it's a little bit about a philosophy that you can take. It's called agile philosophy, and and basically the the point of it is that you want to as soon as possible with everything you're building, writing, and thinking, you want to put it in front of your customers, whether that's actual customers or investors, because you need to start getting that feedback from the market. You have to. And uh, there's a lovely quote from Reid Hoffman that I really enjoy where he says, you know, if you're not embarrassed, embarrassed by the first version of your product, you launch too late. And that's I believe that's true because you can, you can keep developing and spend thousands and hundreds of thousands on something to get it just right. But instead, I encourage everyone to, that's thinking about this to say, ask themselves, what's the simplest functional version of what I'm trying to do? And it's not going to be your perfect utopia that you're imagining for your company and your product. But put that out there. Start getting users that you know, can buy into what you're doing. And that's going to de-risk what you're doing a lot because you're getting that feedback, that iterative process between you and what you're trying to do in your head. And everyone else out there that that needs to agree with you to make your company move forward. So yeah. that's a big part of de-risking. Okay, go for yeah, your question. No, that's a great point. Now, I wanted to unpack a little bit with you on the process of product development. You're on you're on the you're in the metaverse, you're your virtual reality, you're into medical education and maybe it'd be helpful to kind of help the listeners understand uh you know how you got the product moving. Um also, what are some of the um trainings that you're plan are doing or planning to do on the virtual reality. So maybe give the listeners a little bit of uh, how the product got developed and what are some of the solutions you're developing? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with that a little bit more about the company. We haven't talked about what we're doing at SimTech too much. Yeah. So I'll start with that and then I'll, I'll backscale to how we went about that. So for us, what we're building are the VR clinics to train the future healthcare professionals. And so that essentially rather than the, like the first, when you go into the hospital, you hope that the doctor who's doing that procedure on you or something like that, that they've done that thousands of times before. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. And that's no fault of the medical community because there's been no other way uh, previously. But now, essentially, with what we're doing is that you can fail at something 
a thousand times get better and better without ever causing harm or risk to patient or self. Um, and so it's, it's beautiful. I I love what we're, what we're doing in that way. And so what that means is that, and, and then eventually, so you need a virtual environment when you put on a headset and you see a clinic around you, you see virtual patients in front of you that you can interact with and they're smart patients because they're going to respond to you. That's a tall order. And then, um, our future roadmap involves us. What you said, we're a metaverse company, which means that it's a spatial environment where you can connect people together. And this solves that problem that I had with the isolation that comes along with digital learning. And so essentially in your virtual environment now, it's you and your friend there or you and your um, senior colleague that are working on that same patient together, teaching you that virtual patient. So that's a big, that's a big uh, order as far as what we can do as we move into the future. But we boiled it down into, okay, what are the, what's the simplest thing we can build? Uh, And for, for us, is, so we build virtual reality. It's an Unreal Engine. It's a game engine that builds that technology. And essentially, I did a little bit of the proof of concept just to demonstrate it to a few people, just some friends and family, just to show, look, you can take this block. It was literally a block that you could grab. You'd overlap it with a place that was supposed to represent the heart, and you'd hear a heartbeat. So very, very simple. Okay. But that was enough to start to get people to see that, okay, you know, clinical skills can be done in virtual reality and, and for, for some money to start coming in small amounts of money. But so building with that, the next thing that we did is we started to outsource that building to some developers, like you said, on, on Upwork, mostly Upwork for this type of development. And this is usually in that $10 an hour range. And these they're they're good developers, but they're learning, but you get what you pay for. And and essentially at that point we decided we want a tutorial to show to investors. And so we built uh, using them um, to, to get to a tutorial that we could show to investors. So it had a real clinic around it. It was a real stethoscope, I mean a virtual stethoscope. When I say real, there's the caveat there around yes. all that. Yes. But uh there's that virtual clinic, that virtual stethoscope that you can put over the hard areas and you can you can see that. And so that was built for, for the investors and that did get us, you know, next rounds of funding. And then we were looking towards the customers at that point, as far as what we were building. So everything after that was to, okay, let's make sure we're building it in a nice way, moving towards. And we started to shift from contractors that were part-time to full-time. And that went along with the amount of funding that we were getting. And we really made an effort to make sure that during the development process, you're always engaging with people communicating on what you're doing, releasing videos on social media of what you're building. Even if it's embarrassing, just, you know, get the videos out there because you want people to see and get the idea of what you're building. So even during that development process, I'd recommend everyone to involve their community to the greatest extent possible. We didn't even do it enough. We should have done it more, but show them what you're building. Like Dropbox was funded off of uh, it was a made-up example. They were just showing a, a, a video screen sharing of, of them what Dropbox could look like once it was built. So nothing was built, but they were engaging with the community, and the community funded the project. Mm. And so uh, essentially get it out there during the development process as you go through that. Great lesson. So what are the solutions? Like, Are you going everything from taking temperature to any kind of exams, or what are some of the solutions now and in the future? Yeah, when I say clinical skills, what I'm talking about are the 
right now the core things that doctors do every single day. I'm not talking about surgery. Lots of people want to use virtual reality for surgery. That's exciting. There's big opportunity there, but there's also some challenges because of the risk and the having the right equipment for learning motor skills. So when I say clinical skills, I'm talking about a history, physical exam, and minor procedures at the bedside. Uh, and so history, you know, you come in with chest pain and I say, you know, what's going on? Tell me more about the problem. When did it start? Those types of communi communicative interactions you have with patients. Okay. After that physical exam, it's okay, great. Let's, let's take the stethoscope. Let's listen. Let's feel the pulse. Okay. That's not very good. All of those basic things. Then lastly, let's, let's take some blood. Let's hook up the ECG. Those are all those kind of minor bedside procedures and tests that we're, that we're starting with. Oh, and so that's, that's in the, it, yeah. it, you're in the virtual reality room. You've got your glasses on, but is there gloves as well? So you can actually feel and touch and. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So right now we are using the um, Facebook or Meta's quest Two. the quest Two comes along with it. Some controllers that you hold in your hand. Okay. And when in the virtual environment, you see hands instead of controllers, but the system's tracking the hands the controllers and it's representing it with hands. And when you grip the buttons, you see the hand go like this. When you aren't gripping the buttons, the hand opens up. Uh -huh. And there's a haptic feedback or the vibratory feedback that the controllers give so that when I reach out and visually I see a hand reaching towards that virtual patient's pulse and I grab it, I feel the haptic pulse going so I know it's a regular pulse. So that's what we're using right now. It's basic, but at the same time, it's amazing the amount of immersion that you can get when you trick a couple senses at one time. So you're seeing something visually, you're getting some physical feedback, and there's audio and speech involved. Okay. Even if the resolution's not to the extent of the eye, wow, you can trick yourself into thinking that you're there. Mm -hmm. And so the tool itself and its current component is useful and helps students get that rote practice that they need to with clinical skills. Moving forward, we are partnership with a company called SenseGlove. And um, SenseGlove builds haptic gloves that, and so when I, so their glove that fits on there and the same thing, it provides haptic feedback. It's a little bit more specific. So it can be haptic, the vibrations here, 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 kind of all those areas. But additionally, it provides force feedback which means that I go to grip something in virtual reality and the haptic glove resists my gripping. And so it feels like I'm grabbing either a table, a wrist, a squishy ball, whatever it might be, it can have different consistencies. And so we are pushing towards building that. Most medical students don't have VR gloves though, obviously. And so, and they're a little bit of a higher price tag. Um, Sense Glove is really working to make commercially available ones to direct users, but it's still probably a one year process. I know Facebook or Meta is also building haptic gloves and they're really interested in distributing right to the, the user. And so that's in the pipeline and that's going to really enhance the, the learning process. Uh, but I think, again, the controllers are quite, quite useful and quite a bit of fidelity right now, even though they just look like controllers, you can trick yourself pretty good. Cool. Well, I'm glad we went through that. Give people sense. And I do want to talk about some key points in the next 12 months, but where can, is it, have you got that video where the people can see for a minute what you're talking about in the virtual room? Is it on your LinkedIn site or where can people see that? 
So then get yeah, it. that's a good question. I thought you wanted me to pull it up right now and I wouldn't because I'm on the phone. But no, but yes, no. if, if you go to LinkedIn, um, find me on LinkedIn at McCabe Iam, or you can go to our website at um, www.simtechmd.com or .ca. Um, you can see right when you open up the screen, you'll see a website, uh, a video showing you that you know the headset's going on. You can see the virtual clinics around you and the patients you're interacting with. So please go check it out if you haven't. Uh, it's it's uh, It's really exciting that these skills can be done in such a safe to fail environment for, for both the learners and the pressure that they feel and the patient outcomes that we're all interested in. So uh, those two places, go check it out, see the video. Going to revolutionize medical training. This is awesome. Okay. So tell, tell us uh, a little bit about your vision for the next 12 months. What does the roadmap say? Yeah. So right now for the next 12 months, we're working on core content. This again goes to, histories, physical exams, and procedures. And getting enough of those so that the medical students, they're the ones that have to take those clinical exams. And right now it's quite difficult to study for them. And so this is providing our primary user, which is the medical student themselves, with the content that they need to pass all those exams all the way through pre-med to post-graduation uh, in a residency training program. And so that type of content is, is the core thing we're developing. But as we expand onto that, we're starting to integrate the multi-user environments. So that means that students can start to connect with each other on the platform. Because mm. um, we do want to establish that connectivity between learners themselves and the older generation as soon as possible so that our, our technology is not isolating in a sense. That is you know, one concern that people have as we become increasingly digitized, that people are isolating themselves. You know, that feeling when someone's on the phone and they're not listening to you. We want to avoid that as soon as possible and connect learners together to make a better uh, learning process. And then we want to start connecting onto those platform other people that are interested in the learning process. And so as part of that, it includes other educators. So there's lots of educators, doctors online that have YouTube channels, social media followings, where they educate medical students, teach them how to do certain clinical exams, how to think about things clinically, uh, connecting them onto the platform. They're already, you know, interacting with students on the web. We want to bring them all together in our um, virtual platform to teach one another, as well as other groups such as, you know, medical brands that produce things that um, students need access to and to give them discounts, those types of products, and in the institutions themselves whether from a, a training or a certification standpoint on the platform. So students can take their basic life support training on the platform and they don't need to go to another out of institution place, but that they can get that same training and the verification on the platform. And so that's, that's the roadmap. Some of the other stuff and the stakeholders that's happening kind of later this year, okay. but uh, right now it's the, that core content to make it really useful for the student who wants to be a good doctor, needs to pass their clinical exams and needs more experience to do that. And of course, your funding is always ongoing process, right? So you'll in the next twelve months, you'll continue to work on that. Yep, we're continuing funding. We've just we're just closing around now, so it's not really available right now. But if people reach out, we'll be opening one up in set in a few months, and it'd be, it's always good to start those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And then, what about marketing? You're starting the marketing process. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. People can go to our socials, uh, uh, mainly Instagram and Facebook. Uh, some content's coming on YouTube as well, but uh, head there. They can en engage with the product, essentially. We want to hear people's feedback on what they're seeing on our social media uh, platform so that we know that we're building what people want. 
essentially. Uh, and so they can head to there, follow us, watch our new videos coming out. The content's going to be um, really ramping up over the next two weeks as we kind of are releasing this beta version, version one to, to users right now. And so the marketing is going to become a lot more active. You're going to see us out there and uh, that's exciting. So engage with that it. It's exciting. So the first step is to the medical students itself. And then second step is to the institutions, correct? Yeah, that's great. Uh, and so uh, the reason that we're starting with the medical students themselves, because they're, it's a, it's a rapidly growing technology and it's really important that we get it in front of users and get really fast feedback on the product as to what we're building. And students that are paying, they've they got access to finances with their lines of credit when they enter, enter medical school. But essentially, they're a great customer because they complain a lot and uh, they're really uh, loud in a sense, which is what we need. We need that type of process where they're helping the product grow and, and they're getting as much out of it as possible. That's affecting the way students learn. We believe this, this is a better way of learning than the traditional method right now for lots of ways. You've got unlimited access, automated score tracking, optimizes your learning so it tells you what to study when, um, and it's a simplified learning tool. So all the resources you use right now are kind of put into one headset, one location. And so essentially we're, we're starting with that group and that's gonna change the way they learn. And then we wanna work with the institutions to train the way that students are assessed. So that's kind of the two parts of the learning process is the, is the way you learn, in the way that you're assessed. And we want those two to be better aligned to a better learning process and a better assessment process. Right now, again, through no fault of their own for institutions, basically in your first couple of years of uh, going through medical school, the, the institutions only get to get a couple of good looks at you to see how you're doing. And there are some reasons why that's, that happens because of resources, essentially. You try and test 300 students in a medical student class and you know show that they're competent that's an expensive examination <laughs> clinically you've got to hire actors you've got to put them all through that um, and then you've got to deal with the, the the blowback that comes for students who maybe had a bad go a uh, bad day in the office during that examination and so it's a it's a tough process so because of that medical schools and institutions really don't look under the hood very often mm -hmm. uh, one of the advantages we see to our product is that you can see what a student's done every day and essentially mo if you're if you're in school medical school you're a bright kid you want to work you want to work hard and to achieve it we want that to be an opportunity to find those that might be struggling you know mental health challenges are a serious part of medical training and it can come up earlier on and that's much better to see it earlier and start inter intervening and helping those types of students earlier rather than waiting till an examination when something comes up and then you've got to ask serious questions about whether you let this person progress or not, even though they're, they're bright and really committed, they've already sacrificed so much for medicine. So we see it as a good opportunity for institutions to adjust the way they're training and the expectations that they put on students, but also to really show real competence at skills because, you know, uh, medical students are bright enough that if, if they, if you give them 24 hours and they, it was, they changed the exam to, um, you know, car mechanics, they would probably do a decent job in 24 hours because they can drop everything and learn. And so many medical students have gotten away with that in a sense, with that cramming pre-exam. That's not a great form of long-term learning. And, and there's not much the schools can do about that. But 
with a process like this where you can watch them learn and demonstrate confidence over time, that's exciting for what that could mean for um, medical competence and um, that that uh, confidence that students need as they're kind of going through this journey. So I think it's really exciting to work on both ends for how students learn and how institutions are going to assess and have greater alignment on that over time. Mm, well said. That's super exciting. So McKay, we could talk forever, but uh, that's a great intro and great lessons learned for entrepreneurs. And if any of the listeners have medical students or no medical students, forward this podcast onto them. And so you can interact with McKay and his team to make the product even better and better. But McKay, tell once again, tell people where they can find you and interact with your VR. Great. So they can go onto our website. That's the, the best place to find us. And so www.simtechmd.com. You can find us, reach out to us there uh, in the contact us section. Additionally, you can follow us on our socials. We will reply if you message on there. Um, about any of these types of topics, whether you want to get involved for, you know, accessing the training yourself, um, investment opportunities, or you feel like you've got a way that you can contribute to our team. That's, that's you know, a growing company right now, then please message. Mm, awesome. Okay. Really enjoyed the time. Great, great lessons learned for entrepreneurs and a very exciting space to be. So uh, all the best to you. And uh, maybe we'll have you on. Well, I hope to have you on in a year so you can share more of your success yeah. story. Yeah, that'd be great. 